Benjamin Franklin once said, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. The fact is, quality matters. Join us as we make quality fun, interesting, and accessible to companies of all levels. Quality matters is a must-listen for all things quality. Listen in, ask questions, and get back to doing what matters most. Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. Hello and welcome back to the Quality Matters podcast. It has been a while. I think our last episode was in October and we weren't real consistent then. And anyone watching a video might notice we have a uh, return guest, hopefully for a long term stint. It's been a hot minute (laughs) since the podcast. And, you know, we might as well just tell the truth. Kyle fired me, not just from the podcast, from the whole business. It was I, you know, I say that to be funny. It was a mutual agreement and now now he's reeled me back in. And so here I sit and um, he's informed me that they need to be longer. And so, yeah, we we can't do the 10, 15 minute stuff no more because people listen to it more frequently. I'm telling you, my throat is already dry. I already need to take a drink. I try not to be rude and swallow. I got my coffee here. I got my ice water on the side that you're going to hear rattly. (laughs) I just don't know how I'm going to make it through 40 minutes, but I'm going to try, and I hope y'all stay for the 40 minutes. (laughs) No, I think it's going to be good. Oh, speaking of, I need to set my little timer so we don't run over, and we know how far in we're going. I don't think we're going to run over. You'd be surprised. (laughs) I can jabber, man. Like, anyone listening to some of the last episodes, I think one of them was like an hour long. At the end of the hour, I'm like, I still want to talk. So I'm here to temper (laughs) that for (laughs) y'all. Okay, so what are we talking about today? So today um, we wanted to talk about the clauses in the 9001 standard that seem to have the most findings. Okay. And so to do that, I asked Kyle to print off some <laughs> of our audit reports um, mm-hmm. that we've done, you know, on audits yeah. ourselves. Um, if you've ever had the pleasure of working with our auditor, Dawn, she's amazing. Yep. And um, we get lots of uh, very compliment oriented mm-hmm. emails regarding yeah. her. Um She's very detailed. So I was not sure what Kyle was going to give me. And (laughs) it was not what I thought it was. He asked me, well, when are you going to go through that? And I said, I'll go through it Monday night after, you know, the baseball games. Kids had games this weekend. And he said, okay. And I came into the office this morning because it wasn't brought home last night. And I said, hey, you have to bring it home on purpose. I know what would happen if I brought it home. I said, you have the audit stuff? He said, yeah. It's that stack right there. So yeah, hold it up if you're okay. So those of you listening, we have YouTube. We are trying very hard to push the video. So yeah, it's what like three inch thick stack of papers, and that's just it's, it's a, yeah. That's it's just a, a selection of. I think reports. I counted it as about. It's only really about ten or eleven. Yeah. Audit reports. I Maybe. think I counted. Yeah. Um. So that's we what I got to do this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you went through because when we do our audit findings uh we always identify what's the problem and it's basic stuff right so what's the problem we encountered all right what is the you know impact like why does this matter you know what's the requirement what's the specific iso requirement that we're we're writing this against which if you're ever in an external audit and they kind of get uh the auditor gets hung up on something always ask that question what clause of the standard are you looking to verify conformance to 
When you ask that question, you're going to put the auditor on his heels, and that gives you the control and freedom to explain how you meet it, because he may have an assumption about it. I feel it. like I've heard you say this before on yes, our podcast it is many so times. Important. Because I think what you say in conjunction with that is that a lot of auditors, hmm, and it, I think this is going to come out rude the way I say it, and I don't intend it then that way. Say it anyway. <laughs> Um, all the more reason. Well, you know, that's why I'm here because I don't fully understand all this stuff. And so I kind of ask the questions to help anybody else that maybe doesn't understand the stuff. Go for it. So a lot of external <coughs> auditors mm -hmm. um, are kind of just in it to do the job, make their money and get mm -hmm. back home. Yeah. And so they look for the low hanging fruit is mm -hmm. the way you word it. Yep. Um, so kind of pretty standard play on words yeah. <laughs> thing things that they look for that they maybe mm -hmm. expect the company to have or not to have just yep. to kind of check boxes say okay we did it yep. and so maybe they don't know the standard as well as kyle does and you know of course he's my husband well, and, and i'm then, a little biased more than one way to approach a lot of this stuff too and that auditor may have just seen 10 companies do it the exact same way and you're kind of that's oddball. fair mm -hmm. Well, he needs to understand. And you what's... still meet the requirement, yeah. but in a different way. Exactly. And so one easy way to handle the auditor is to say. Yeah. What clause? What clause? Yeah. So in case we go through and we identify the clause of the standard that we have a problem with. This is actually sometimes a little difficult to do because if we're auditing against their process procedure. Okay. Let's say their procedure procedurally meets the requirements of the audit, but then something they did didn't follow their procedure. Well, mm -hmm. it seems that I would issue a finding against their procedure. But with it being an extra, we try to audit the same way an external ISO auditor mm -hmm. would, because everyone should be prepared for the audit. The external ISO auditor has to cite it against a clause of the standard. So then we do our due diligence and homework, and we identify exactly where in the standard we have an issue. So... That's the, uh, so that's the idea there. I just kind of went through the audit reports. Thank, so much fun. Thank it? God. Some of them had a summary sheet at the beginning. We have started doing that. I am so thankful <laughs> you have. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, I'll show you my little, my little notes. I don't know how well you can see that from the camera, but um, it's probably all washed out. Maybe. Yeah, probably. Um, so I just wrote down, you know, clauses, sub clauses and how many times, there was either an observation, a minor, or a major uh, nonconformance. I did not note how many times it was an observation versus minor or major. Okay. Just I'll save my spiel about the difference between the three for now. Maybe Let's I'll do. do it at the end. Because that's so much fun to me. Or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then it was funny because I didn't want Kyle to be blindsided silly me i you know i just sat here and told you how kyle knows the standard inside and out and can probably quote you verbatim these cl clauses but i came in here it's getting harder these days i used to be a lot better at it but we have expanded to cover more standards so sometimes the, they get the, <laughs> it gets a little twisted so is in that my head. the you got this, the nine thousand? Yes, this is the 9001 2015 edition so i came in here and just kind of <laughs> listed the clauses and sub clauses that we were going to talk about specifically um and i finally said and 10.2 and he smiled and he said i wondered if you're going to say 10.2 or not because i guess <laughs> that's the one that's really the most challenging uh a lot of times so 10.2 is dealing with uh corrective actions and this is a whole confusing world for, for 9001. 
this will be its own independent episode because I'll talk for an hour about the differences here. Okay, so we'll come back yeah. to that. But um, corrective actions are important. The 9001 standard sucks at how they describe the difference in them and they, they screw up the world by putting corrective action and nonconformity all in the same subject heading. It's still an old fashioned corrective preventative action. In case. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> so, um, I said, well, you know, there were only this many of 10.2. And he said, well, that's because most of the people that we audit are our fractional quality management customers. Yep. And so we <coughs> help we them with the 10.2 so that, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not there. Okay. So we will start with the one that had the most findings and that was 7.1.3. 7 all right. So clause seven is what they call the support clause in the standard. If that sounds really confusing and weird, well, what is support? Yeah, you got it. All right. So you said seven, one point what? 7.1.3. 7.1.3. This comes in under infrastructure. And one of the reasons this is a real common finding. Let me see if I can. Benjamin Franklin once said, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low prices forgotten. The fact is, quality matters. Join us as we make quality fun, interesting, and accessible to companies of all levels. Quality? Okay. <laughs> Apparently, I hit a button that I shouldn't have hit. And uh, since I don't really do any editing on this podcast, yay, that's fun. <laughs> um, so I need to get this keyboard out of the way while I'm flopping papers around, because that's just not much fun right there. That was a little intermission for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the infrastructure clause. This is one that truthfully people probably have the fewest issues with. I'll, I'll get there. But and, so I made a face at Kyle, like if it's the fewest <laughs> issues, then why did it come up the most on our audit report? Because people don't often consider the documentation required. When we're talking about infrastructure. These are things you don't think about with ISO 9001, which is typically a small manufacturing service-based management system standards. So we don't usually think about infrastructure like the building we have, the facilities we have, the number of uh, resources and people we have. How do we get signed off on things? We usually don't think about that type of stuff for 9001 because those are things that are just kind of inherent to our business. It's okay. the same type of thing when we do uh, for the first few years, 9001, the 2015 edition, when they threw risk-based thinking in there, that was a big finding because people didn't know how to address risk-based thinking. Because mm -hmm. the fact is, risk-based thinking is documentation of common sense, good business decisions. So why document okay. it? If it's just common stuff, we need to know. Mm -hmm. So we take a look at infrastructure. It's a really short clause. Um, the organization shall determine, provide, and maintain the infrastructure necessary for operation of its processes to achieve conformity to products and services. Okay. So it's not uncommon when we ask someone, well, what controls do you have in place for infrastructure? You kind of get a deer in the headlights look. They're like, uh, I don't know. Our CFO signs off on stuff, which is half the procedure you need right there. You need to have controls for things like capital expenditures. You know, if you've got to spend some extra money on a project, things like that, what are the controls in place? Typically, your infrastructure procedure is less than a page long. Okay. We we're talking about some really basic controls. But since we have this trifecta of ambiguous language, determine, provide, and maintain, uh, you have no choice but to document this. Mm -hmm. Now, in the older edition of the ISO 9001 standard, they, they had what they called required procedures because the standard outright said, you shall have a procedure for. 
Mm-hmm. They quit doing that in 2015. But same thing here. When you see the words determine, provide, and maintain, you better have some level of documentation to support this. Stuff. Okay. So that could be one takeaway from y'all. If you're taking notes, yes. write that down. If in the clause you see. Yes. Determine, determine provide, maintain. You need to have, have documentation. documentation. Um, the other piece where we get infrastructure is a lot of times the preventative maintenance schedules fall under the infrastructure clause okay that can go under monitoring and measuring um resources in our qms software we actually bundle preventative maintenance and calibrations all together in the same system because it's we're, we're keeping track of tasks that need to be completed granted okay. tasks with different purposes different documentation mm-hmm. but it's, it's tasks on equipment so that's another one that we run into pretty commonly is they've just done nothing to assess preventative maintenance okay and you can lump that under the monitoring and measuring, but it's the forklift. It's not measuring anything. True. It's it's equipment. It's a capital expenditure that you have to pay to maintain. Mm-hmm. So that's why infrastructure is big on there because folks just don't think about it. You know, maybe they've got weld machines and they realize, oh, my weld machine needs calibrated. But maybe you don't think about the preventive maintenance that goes along with it. Same thing with the vehicle. Well, we got a vehicle. We do the state inspection. We get the oil change when it needs to be done. Do you document that you're supposed to do that? Do you have any evidence that you did do that? So these are pretty common things we run into. I feel like we need to document that at home because I'm always surprised when that renewal registration comes in. Like we need to have that documented so we can put it in the budget. That's what we need. This will be a big project for next year. We need the the home version of TQA Cloud. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. What else you got? (laughs) Okay. um, And... That was the one with the most. The rest of these are just in order of clauses. It's not in order of the most or whatever. Um, so 8.4. 8.4. All right. So 8 is the operations clause of the standard. Um, we're skipping 8.3, thankfully, design and development. It's a whole fun world. All right. So 8.4. This is the kind of the big ISO 9001 clause. Okay. This is, um, well, for, for a lot of folks, it's a control of externally provided processes, products, and services. So it's a big one for 9001. So like your suppliers? Exactly. And how they do what they do. And how you govern their quality and ability to do it for you. Okay. So this is a, a, this is a pretty big clause for 9001 because a lot of folks more and more and more each year, I feel like, are outsourcing more and more of their operations. Mm -hmm. So controlling your supply chain is difficult. It can be incredibly, incredibly complex. And there's a whole world of supply chain management, degrees, software, skills, you you name it. Most small businesses and and even number of uh, mid-sized businesses, supplier approval can be really, really simple. Now, this is one of the things that they made really funny in the new edition of the standard is they call it externally provided processes, products, and services. Let's do a syllable count on that. Externally provided processes, products, services, what, what like 10, something? I don't know. Close? I think you missed a few. Yeah, probably. Syllables. syllables. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're at least 10 would you, syllables Would there. you like Katie to be here to help you count? Oh, the hush. That's our seven-year-old daughter. <laughs> Any case. <laughs> And, you know, if you look on the screen, you can see takes up nearly the whole page on the header. Okay. (laughs) Vendors. Now, if I'm an organization who largely makes money off of how many pages of paper I sell, control of externally provided products and services, that makes a lot of sense to me. I I feel like we've talked about this on this podcast before as well. Yes. So um, supply chain doesn't. Which is also a valid complaint. It is. And. Something yes. frustrating. Um, so when you're looking at suppliers, it, it's real simple. 
I mean, it really can be real simple. Start from this point, scrap everything else you've ever thought, bring it back in as necessary, but let's start brand new. We need the first thing to know who we're buying from. More than nine times out of 10, when the management system is put in place, it is put in place before, it's put in place well after the business is established. Right. Okay. Would be ideal to do it all at once, but it's going to go in once the business is established. Take a look at who you're currently buying from. Clearly, you have made a decision that you like the people you're buying from. Mm -hmm. You have done an informal evaluation, at minimum of them. Okay. Go through the last three years. Give me how many times you purchased from them last three years. Okay. Tell me if you have any known quality issues with them. Document, we had these known quality issues. They either resolved it or they didn't resolve it. Or you found someone else for this little niche that they provide. Whatever it is. <clears throat> Document that on letterhead. We're talking about like three hours of work here. Okay. okay. Not that bad. <clears throat> um, then you're going to go through and classify all of these suppliers as either direct material, which is pretty straightforward. Direct material is they provide some sort of material that gets incorporated into the products or services we provide. Right. Um, if you're, uh, you know, we're talking about oil changes. So let's say you're a car lube station. Well, all of the oil you buy, those are direct materials that gets incorporated into the product and service you provide. Mm -hmm. So we got to track our direct material suppliers, period. Then we want to track what we call special process suppliers. Special process supplier is just someone that has a significant impact on the products and services you provide. The people we buy our whole daggum ream of paper from to print out auto reports. I don't care if it's Walmart, if it's Amazon, if it's the dollar store. I really don't care. It's paper. The quality of paper I'm printing on isn't going to affect anything for my ability to provide services. Mm -hmm. Marketing folks, folks I use my website, who cares? Still going to do just as good of a job regardless. Now, but let's say that you have an ISO consultant or a calibration supplier or a machine shop or you outsource some of your equipment maintenance and stuff like that. Those are special process suppliers. We have to approve them. Everyone else is commodity. You start with those three categories. It can get more complicated. Sometimes it needs to. Start with those three categories. Put all your suppliers in those categories. Okay. Say the three categories again together. Direct material, mm -hmm. special process supplier, and commodity. So commodity was like the papers. Yeah. Whatever. Paper, okay. anything else. That Maybe doesn't affect your services. Correct. Maybe it's who you use for cleaning the building. Mm -hmm. Unless you're like a medical device company <laughs> where cleanliness is matters. very important. Right. Then who you get to clean the floor, I really don't care. It's clean. People are happy. It's important but it's not going to cause me to fail on the products and services I provide. Mm -hmm. Categorize them between the three. Again, then you go through anyone that's direct material, special process supplier, and you say, I've used them for this long. I've had quality issues or not had quality issues, delivery issues, things like that. And I accept them. And that's what we call grandfathering a supplier. Then to reapprove them, it's really pretty simple as well. You need to determine how frequently you want to reevaluate them. Okay. I've, I suggest reevaluate all your suppliers once a year. You might have good reason to extend it out for some of them. So a couple of things I want to step back. You know, you talked about the three categories in the cleaning company. I think you made a valid point without directly saying it. It matters what you do, how you get these suppliers categorized. Yes. Yes. So, so it's not like a I cleaning company a is not going to be a commodity for everybody. Correct. Because, of course, I go to education. I think, again, that's not just a commodity. <coughs> kids have to have a, 
clean, safe work environment. No, I agree. And teachers, and too. You wouldn't want them cleaning with some potentially hazardous, dangerous chemicals when you got kindergartners licking the glitter off the table. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. Just our kids. <laughs> so I think that's one <laughs> valid point that we need to make. Um, and then the second, oh, man, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, so you often say on this podcast and to me uh-huh. that ISO is really flexible and that it's you putting down what you do. So you just made that point again yeah. by saying you decide what Correct. categories you decide how often yep. you're going to evaluate them. Yep. Then you document it yep. and then you do that. Yep. They're not saying you <coughs> have to do it every year. Mm-mm. You can do it every six years, but yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. The longest I would ever recommend anyone extending it out to is three years. But yes, you, you get to decide. So then you determine for that supplier how frequently they get reevaluated. Again, by default, I say annually. Let's say it's something like the company that does, you know, you've got very minimal calibration needs and you've got like a couple of granite plates or levels and standards that need to be checked once every three years. Fine. Reevaluate these folks every three years, but I wouldn't go any further than that. Then when it comes time to reevaluate your suppliers, you look at all of your approved suppliers. You look at what their evaluation reevaluation period is, and then you go back that far and see, did we use ask a couple of basic questions. Did we use them in the last evaluation period? Yes or no. Did we have any quality issues? Yes or no. Any delivery issues, anything like that. And if the answer is we did use them and no issues, they're immediately reapproved. We don't need to be more complicated than that. I don't need some 10 page long assessment. I don't need a scorecard. <laughs> I don't need a ranking system. We used them. They didn't screw up. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's say you did use them and they did have some delivery issues or they did have some quality issues. There were problems there. You should be documenting those on a non-conformance report. So that's pretty simple. Filter your non-conformance reports by that supplier. Did you have any? Yes. Were they resolved satisfactorily? Yes. Document that on the letterhead. Reapprove them for the year. Okay. That's it. Supply chain management can be stupidly complicated. But for the purposes of ISO 9001 and most small businesses, it's really simple. But a lot of consultants get paid a lot of money by making it really complicated. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what's next? Um, 8.5.1. All right. Let's take a look here. 8.5.1. This is the biggest clause for ISO 9001 for most people. Like as far as longest or like Uh, biggest problem? Well, 8.5 is probably the single biggest clause, but so far as most important for the the management system, this is probably it. 8.5.1 is control of production and service provision, which is a fancy way of control your your processes. What do you do? Okay. You make pencils. Great. I need to know everything there is to know about how you make pencils. You provide consultation services, software like we do. Great. Tell me everything about how you do it, how you control that process. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this one has tons of opportunities for findings. However, because it is such a big clause, how many findings did you have for this one? I'm curious. 8.5.1 had nine. Nine. Okay. Versus 7.1.3? Had 12. Okay. So as big as this is, like I say, every company this matters for. It matters for a lot. But we don't have this uh, disproportionately large number of findings because this is where most business owners put the majority of their effort in their business. 
we want to make certain that what we do works. So they usually have the process lined out and working well, but it's not documented well enough. So some examples might be um, we send it after we finish a production run, machining, welding, whatever it is, we send it over to inspection. Inspection does their work on it and sends it back. We know that to be the case. Have you documented that anywhere? So I'm kind of smiling because I feel like I would be really good at documenting these processes and procedures. <laughs> and the reason being, if you've listened to our podcast for any length of time, you know that I am I was a teacher by mm -hmm. trade. I, I think I'm going to have to stop talking about it because this year I have not taught as long as I did teach. Um, but in one of the grade levels, uh, one of the writing units was writing a how-to paper mm -hmm. and we would take, I think it was in first grade. So, you know, something very, very simple. And right. the example I would always use is how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, I have thought about doing this for the kids and recording it for the podcast, ask them to write the instructions for it. Oh man, the kids would funny. get so mad at me because they would be like, and you make it exactly like they tell you to. Yeah. They'd be like, get the bread, get the peanut butter, get the, I was like, where did you get the bread from? Where'd you get the peanut butter from? And then I like spread the peanut butter. Yeah. With what? My finger? My nose? What do I do? <laughs> so I feel like I would be really good at this. So. Or I'd be really good at evaluating okay. it. <laughs> now, here's one thing where folks can get, get caught off guard because that seems to be the natural progression of when we say we need to document these processes, they want to document it in that umpteenth detail. And, oh. and we run into this a lot. The problem there is you're going to have a 30 page long instruction for something that takes five minutes to do. Mm. This is where competence comes in huge. Did y'all hear that? I think Kyle just called me incompetent. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> what I would he, say, he, he looked at me about every little detail hinting well, at my peanut butter and jelly sandwich well, in a 30 this. page document. And then he said, this is where competence comes in. I think he just called me incompetent. No. <laughs> if one of your students had been smart enough to say, <gasps> now you're calling my students stupid. Oh yeah. Most kids are Kyle. You are on a roll, man. This is Woo! awful. Right. So if they were to start off their procedure by saying, have an employee with competence for peanut butter and jelly, follow the following instructions. Those real simple, basic instructions would be good, but we have not defined the minimum competence of the people to do the job. So there are two, two big arguments for um, work instructions. One argument for a work instruction is that we need to detail every single thing conceivable so that nothing is done improperly. If someone can follow basic instructions, they need to be have a very low skill level and they can do virtually any task is the idea. Okay. But I think about it as like a new person needs to be able to come in and follow these instructions with no other person around. Possibly. But some skills require practice and skill and your ability to follow instructions does not matter, no matter how well I wrote the skills. So you get hired to be a juggler today. <laughs> could I give you a detailed enough work instruction that you could successfully juggle by the end of the day? Probably not. Probably not. You have to be evaluated as competent to even read the instructions for the okay. instructions to matter. So. That's one thing where we can make a distinction. And this is something you have to think about in your workplace is what type person am I writing these instructions for? Am I writing this for a layman who knows absolutely nothing or next to nothing about this process? And they need to be taught 
in the or told in the work instruction in excruciating detail. There are times that is good when we do software updates. We have work instruction very, 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 very detailed. Click this. Type this. Make sure this is yes. Make sure that is no. Screenshot this. Copy here. Paste there. We get really granular. Um, on the other hand, if you're going to have someone uh, weld, it might be as simple as weld this joint according to this WPS. Holy crap, that's 20 years of skills and experience that goes into being able to read the WPS okay. and do it that way. So you got to think about it in those two halves is am I giving this to someone with competence and have it find those competence requirements out here? Mm -hmm. Or am I giving this so that really anyone with minimum skills can do it? Okay. Gotcha. So you wouldn't need to give those detailed instructions to a chef, but you would need to give those detailed instructions to a 10 year old. Right. So in case that's a big, that's a big one where we get caught up on um, eight, five, one for controller production service provision is in the instructions they give their folks. A lot of times they don't have a job traveler. It's probably the most common thing we run into. So you just don't have a job traveler or they do have a job traveler, but there's blanks all over the place. Okay. So for those that don't know, a job traveler seems to me You're like it's, jelly instructions. it's a piece of paper that goes with the work. Could be. That is the old term with technology and stuff. Sometimes the job traveler is purely electronic and, and whatnot. So it's really just the work instructions? Yeah, it's the work instructions okay. for that project. So does it travel with Depends on the, the work? Depends on the shop. Let's say you are repairing 100 components. Well, you might have 10 components at this weld station, 20 at that weld station, another 30 over in the inspection bay. Heck, you got some more that are over at heat treating today. Um job traveler can't physically travel but when the guy gets the work he knows i'm working on project 1052 i better go check my instructions for this weld step on it okay so what we'll find a lot of times is that those job travelers are blank if someone works on the task they need to document the work they did on that task hey mm -hmm. i finished this weld repair according to this wps for one two three four these these four years. like you're saying it goes to inspection and comes back we yep. need to record that it went to inspection yes. on this day and time yes. and came back on this day and yep. time with check it was inspected and good. And a lot of times we wind up with blanks. Now, in the shop floor, everyone's like, well, yeah, no duh. I know that's blank. Um, this job came in in much better shape than we thought it did, and we didn't have to do that weld repair. Well, fantastic. Document it. <laughs> I need to know. Because, yeah. you know, and it's a simple. Write out, not required, Supervisor initially, we're done. That's good. But that gets missed a lot of times. Okay. So what's next? Um, 8.7. 8.7. Oh, this is getting into the fun stuff. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could see how excited he gets <laughs> about can. this. It's on video. <laughs> Come check it out. Go to YouTube. Texas that quality assurance. Our listeners are going to hate that. Oh, they probably will. Okay. So control of non-conforming outputs. Is 10.2 next by chance? No, I, I thought you it said it's going to be its own episode. I know, I know, but they're all connected. And I think with you talking so much, this is probably going to be the last one for this episode. Okay, then we're going to talk about 8, 7, and 10, 2 then. No, we're only going to do 8.7 right now. Okay, fine. They'll have to tune in if they want to hear 10 too. <laughs> All right. So control of non-conforming outputs. In the prior edition of ISO 9001, I think this was clause 8.6. Wait, what did you say it was? Um, 8.7. Control of non-conforming outputs. Okay. I don't understand that at all. Okay. It is confusing. Mm -hmm. So 
most companies will track non-conforming product. So the product's not conforming. It failed inspection. It came in bad. Customer rejected it. We scrapped it. Okay. Let's extend that definition slightly. Instead of being non-conforming product, non-conforming output. The output to any process. So a non-conformance, we call them NCRs, a non-conformance report is a report of any non-conformance, meaning it did not go the way it should have. Say it's uh, purchasing. Uh, someone skipped the line and just purchased some stuff with the credit card and your internal procedures say, we're not going to make any credit card purchases above $200 and I just spent 202 bucks. Okay, NCR. I, I, I did not follow the purchasing process. That could be an NCR. So it's just not following a process. Not following a process. Okay. And then, so you identify what's the problem. What did we immediately do about it? In this case, the immediate do about it may have been um, except as is. Kyle got authorization to do it. It's okay. It's a one-time thing. We know about it. We tracked it. And we're going to move on. Okay. People get caught up on that because they're like, uh, but I don't want it to happen again. Well, that's not what this clause is about. This clause has nothing to do with prevention. This clause has only to do with documenting what happened in immediate actions taken which is really great for trend hmm. analysis. Um, That's kind of interesting. I think this was 8.7. Yes. I think I'd like to go back in that stack that I threw on the floor <laughs> <laughs> and see what their non-conformances were for this 8.7. What we see a lot of times, this is why I want to go to 10.2, but I'll, 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 I'll tame myself here a little bit, <laughs> is um, because the ISO 9001 standard got a little confusing in 2015, um, 10.2, they call nonconformity and corrective action. And so the assumption people make is nonconformities and corrective actions must go together all the time. Corrective action, nonconformity support, they're now mm -hmm. the same. That is the unfortunate conclusion a lot of people reached. The reason 10.2 is nonconformity and corrective action is because they removed the preventative action clause from the standard and replaced it with risk-based thinking. So they want to tie true corrective actions must have a root nonconformity to it. Preventative actions have a potential nonconformity associated with it. So when you read the language in 10.2, nonconformity and corrective action, we automatically assume, oh, they're making the NCR and the car the same thing now. No, they're trying to yeah. tell you they booted preventative action out. I, I'm so confused right now. We're definitely going to have to do 10.2 on its own. We probably need to do a whole episode on... We're going to talk about the, these various quality forms that are out there because it gets really confusing. Um, I'm working on a little like a how-to helpful type document to for folks with it. But I want to talk about um, ECNs, engineering change notifications, management of change, non-conformance reports, corrective action, preventative action reports, and what any of that has to do with this weird term risk-based thinking. Okay. But in any case, the big problem is that folks oftentimes either don't document things as non-conformance reports where they ought to document it. It's quick. We're talking about like five, 10 minutes of paperwork, mm -hmm. real easy stuff, but it gives you great data to trend or they treat their NCRs like cars and they try to fix every single issue they run into mm -hmm. at first glance. It sounds like a great idea, but it's terrible. It's what Deming calls tampering. If you try to fix every single issue that comes into place, you're going to wind up with a really weird, complicated management system with 10,000 rules that is as useless as... Which, again, is something you talk about a lot on here. It doesn't have to be complicated. No, it can be very it simple. Is If you treat each nonconformity as preventable, 
Well, in, in fairness, it makes people sense. are doing the best they can, and they're yes. doing what they think the clause is asking. Yeah. So document your nonconformities frequently. Do not let an NCR be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. NCR is not a write-up. It is not a gotcha card. Don't be scared. No. Document it. You will be blown away after six months, the trends and data you find. Okay. Let's see if we can do two more. <coughs> okay. 9.1.3. 9.1.3. Point three. This is what they call performance evaluation. How are you monitoring your processes? Okay. So clause eight is doing them, which is why NCRs are in the clause eight. Mm-hmm. Um, monitoring. This is all about monitoring your process. So analysis and evaluation. Most uh, less than mature management systems have a hard time identifying. How do we? analyze our business how do we actually know if we're doing good most folks it's uh, the auditor they didn't give me no f- majors and i got my cert i'm good <laughs> i get it i i i feel you I, i'm i'm kind of with you there so this goes a little bit beyond our quality objectives you got your quality objectives which are i, I call the litmus test if you see one of your quality objectives performing poorly ooh, you know that there's a whole slew of things behind it that's a litmus test just to say we've got major issues. The analysis and evaluation, this goes in a little bit of everything. So when we talk about KPIs, key performance indicators, mm-hmm. this is going to be effectively the list of all of your other KPIs. And they tell you some basic stuff that you have to track. So if you're like, well, I don't know what KPIs I need. And they tell you. Conformity of products and services. How many NCRs did you have per order? That might be useful knowing how many products did we sh- in the game? This is going to change depending on your company, what you do. How many products did we ship each time we had an NCR? So we shipped a thousand products for every one non-conformance. Pretty good. Okay. The degree of customer satisfaction. Lots of fun ways to track this. Um, my favorite is a basic loyalty scorecard. You want X percentage of your customers to be year over year repeats. Granted, there's some exceptions in there, so don't make it hundred percent. Because mm-hmm. the customer goes out of business, you may not have had much to do with that. Um, I feel like the customer satisfaction is something companies struggle with a it lot. It is. It's hard. How do I know my customers are happy? Because I, I think I sat in on like one audit with you many years ago mm-hmm. and did not make that mistake again. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I remember them saying, well, we just can't get people to fill out a survey. Oh, gosh. Yes. Look, a survey is a great thing for some people, some of the times, if you made a good survey. I'll say no more. Um, well, and a lot of times, only people that fill out a survey are people that are not happy. <laughs> yes, you're either really thrilled or really upset. Like, seriously, if here's when I'm asked to do a survey, here's my thought process. Like, you're not a five. This was not the best service I ever had. But I know if I put a three, you're going to call me and ask what I could have done better. I mean, like, I ain't got a clue what you could have done better. It just wasn't a fun process. I didn't enjoy working with you that much. You got the job done, but I wouldn't think, man, that was awesome to work with you. I don't want to put a three because I don't want to get that phone call and try to explain this to them. So I just either don't fill it out or I give them a five or I give them a one. And that's what a lot of people do. And so it's like when it's in the middle, is a three acceptable? Do we count three as good or bad? How about if they gave us a four? Is a four good or is a four Maybe bad? they should do like an even number because if it's an odd number, people are going to pick what's in the middle. So there's all sorts of <laughs> philosophies on this stuff, but I like basic stuff. Customer loyalty from, you know, say we do it over a two-year period of time. Did customers from 2020 and 2021 return in 2022 and 2023? What percentage of those customers returned in this period? If 90% of them returned, 
think we're doing a good job keeping our customers happy. Performance and effectiveness of the management system. These are quality objectives. If planning has been implemented effectively, did you build a new facility? Did you bring on a new product line? Did you hire new people? How'd that go? Um, formats of actions taken to address risks and opportunities. Corrective actions. We'll talk about that another day. Forms of external providers. Hey, of the uh, 100 suppliers we reapproved this year, uh, three of them we had nonconformities with that we put them back in. You know, we had to issue a, a corrective action to or something. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. All right, needs for improvements to the management system. But they give you a list. Mm -hmm. So you need to have planned for each of these at least one way you're going to measure it. Okay. So it's not that difficult. It's just you read it and you're like, uh, what do I need to do with this? That's what you need to do. You need to have at least one way you're going to measure all of these plus other fun stuff you measure. Okay. Can you do one more quickly? Oh, maybe. 9.3. 9.3. 9 9.3. Got one minute left on the timer here. Ooh. Well, I don't think they're going to cut us off. No, probably not. Okay. Management review. A couple of ways you can do management review. We're actively working right now on building a good month-by-month -month management review template. The way most folks do management review is it's a once-a-year capstone type meeting. Mm -hmm. Here's the great thing about management review. They tell you everything you need to know, need to report on. This is another really good one in the 9001 standard. Talk bad about it all the time. This is useful. So you go to the management review inputs, make letter A, letter B, letter C, all the line items, make them all a separate slide in a PowerPoint. So you're going to have a slide for the status of actions from previous management review. Cool. Last year, did we say we were going to do some stuff? Did we get it done? Oh, crap. We forgot all about it. Okay. Call yourself out in the management review. We didn't do jack squat from last year. Whoops. Okay. So it's got a checklist for you. Follow yeah. the checklist. Yeah. But make sure you address everything, yes. whether good, bad, or ugly. So we're working right now to try to put together like a, because a lot of companies, not I wouldn't say the majority, but a lot of companies have good standing monthly management meetings. So we're trying to find a, a create a kind of a universal template that, that we could use so that you can plug in the information from your monthly management meetings into this tool. And then at the end of the year, we can just summarize it. So you're going to spend maybe 30 minutes, an hour, putting your management review together at the end of the year. Whereas most companies, it's, it's a couple of days trying to put this thing together. It's, it, it can be a real pain to analyze it. And why analyze your data once a year? Like, should be doing it all the you time. You should be doing it a lot more frequently. I feel like we've given our Texas Quality Assurance a lot of plugs this episode. As well, we should. Well, I think, we should. We support the, we are the podcast, but yes. I think, I think we have a lot of good things to offer. So, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that's some good stuff there. And we'll talk Tim to another day. We will. All right. So, that's it. If uh, you guys like the podcast, like what we do, be sure to like, subscribe, share. I know that's what everyone says and all these things, but it really is important. It does help us out. We don't get paid for putting this podcast out. We don't. And, I know how much time it takes to find all this information because <laughs> I was a struggling quality manager at one point in time. I'd have sold my right arm to have access to this information. <laughs> so if you're liking it, you find something valuable, like subscribe, share it, let us know what you think. And if we keep getting views, Darcy might keep coming back. You don't have to listen to me by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks y'all. <laughs>